Hey, I'm Jonathan with Limitless Mindset, and today I am happy to be joined by Lucas of Ergogenic Health. How are you doing today? Yeah, fantastic, Jonathan. Yeah, real good, man. Okay, and I was real excited to you, uh, excited to talk to you. A little bit of background on Lucas. He is a total biohacking and nootropics aficionado. He has seven years of real hands-on experience with nootropics. He's really div- dr- uh, he's really dived deep into all aspects of this whole biohacking thing, and he combines it with a naturopathic philosophy. He's super passionate about all of the research and about looking into the latest in things like exercise science, in things like uh, nutraceutical science. And he's also the creator of the BrainX nootropic supplement, which is an interesting product that has caught my attention that I will suggest that people check out because it's kind of a, a unique combination of nootropic items. And then he has a really great Instagram feed that I'd suggest that anyone into health stuff go and check out. He's got 16,000 followers, which he has amassed uh, rather, rather quickly over there on Instagram. And so I'm, I'm curious, Lucas, what biohacks are you on at the moment? Uh, currently, I'm actually playing around with a lot of um, insulin sensitizing agents. So things that can basically allow me to um, shuttle glucose, obviously, from my diet, like a high carbohydrate diet, and see how that sort of affects my performance um, in the gym. Because um, I guess a lot, of people, a lot of people right now are dealing with some sort of... Um, you know, some sort of degree of insulin resistance. And um, just just um, from doing a lot of research, I realized that this is really the hallmark of um, peak health and performance and cognition. Um, so it's just something that I've been sort of tapping into recently, playing around with some, uh, some powerful insulin sensitizing agents. Yeah, so basically just being playing around with um, mostly botanical, like botanical... Um, well-known uh, anti-diabetic agents. Um, a lot of them can be found in like uh, sort of like some pre-workouts and like um, GDA products that are on the market. So just recently been um, experimenting with like uh, banana leaf extract. Um, I played around with berberine for a little bit and, and only recently I've just started experimenting with metformin um, as well just to sort of see how that affects my sort of constitution. And are these creating a nootropic performance enhancing effect that's pretty apparent? Um, it is in, in regards to like um, reducing the sort of slump that you get from a high carbohydrate meal. I'm not someone who's very insulin resistant, but I could imagine that someone who's um, got some intense degree of insulin resistance that they would derive a lot of benefit from these glucose disposal agents because 
if they're not able, they, you know, they, they say that um, t- uh, Alzheimer's is just type three diabetes for the brain. That's because we just, in that, in that disease condition, we cannot simply use sugar effectively. And obviously a lot of our neurons and brain cells rely upon a steady stream of glucose. And if we're not able to efficiently, um, you know, break down carbohydrates into their single um, glucose molecule, then we're going to struggle to, you know, um, efficiently perform like cognitively. And how long have you been on the metformin? I've been playing around with it for about a couple of weeks now. Um, a pretty small dose, like obviously just like 500 milligrams um, and always with like a very high carbohydrate meal as well. Um, but it has some other interesting effects. Like I'm not sure if you've seen some of the, like the neuroprotective qualities of metformin and also, um, you know, it, it does upregulate. It's quite good for me because it actually upregulates cortisol. Um, and, you know, a lot of people are like, they're so fearful of cortisol, but really without cortisol, we wouldn't be able to get out of bed in the morning, you know? <laughs> Certainly. That's what gets us up and moving. What sort of dosage of metformin are you using? Just 500 milligrams um, extended release. Okay. And for people who might not be familiar with it, metformin is a pharmaceutical. It's a pharmaceutical that's been around for quite a while. And it's actually one of the most studied ever pharmaceuticals. There was, for example, a study, it was a 5,000 person diabetes study that was done with metformin, largest ever diabetes study. And and metformin is one of the few pharmaceuticals that does work really consistently for diabetics. And it works via, I believe, the AMPK and and the mTOR pathway. And Mm -hmm. it's also something that bodybuilders really like. I've seen some content by rather large human beings talking about how metformin is, they, pe- people will sometimes call AMPK boosters, uh, which is like, uh, w- there's metformin, there's uh, berberine, berberine, I believe, and oh, what's the other one? Uh, Raspu, oh geez, the, the name of it is going to come to me. But people, bodybuilders will use this because it can kind of be a, a workout in a pill. It, mm. it gives people just a lot more muscle gain for the effort that they're exerting in the gym. So it's become pretty popular in the self-experimentation, biohacking community. Uh, a lot of people are using it who actually aren't diabetic. Mm. Yeah, exactly, man. Um, yeah, particularly around the, the whole bodybuilding scene, they, they tend to derive a lot of benefit from it. Um, and particularly when they're on a heavy bulk, like they're, they're having a lot of calories, you know, that's a perfect time when they're becoming um, more insulin resistant. So they sort of will utilize metformin to sort of counteract that. Now, there was something that I heard about metformin and it motivated me to not use metformin and maybe you can tell me about your experience i heard that metformin 
makes your business in the bathroom really, really smelly. That is a, I'm not sure if I've actually noticed that personally, like so far with my experiments, um, but that's a well-known, I mean, that's a well-known side effect. Um, yeah, I guess it's, it does have some, well, we, we do know based on the literature that it does upregulate uh, Akkermansia, like the, the bacteria Akkermansia, and that bacteria itself has a plethora of um, positive health effects, you know, from restoring leaky gut to improving um, cholesterol to um, a range of other beneficial effects. So just that in, a, in and of itself shows that metformin has a, a positive effect on the microbiome. Mm-hmm. And so you've been on it for how long? Um, just about two weeks. Yeah. I've skipped a few days cause I've, you know, I don't really feel like I need it. It's not a, it's not a very, it's not a rigorous experiment that I'm doing at the moment. I'm playing around with some other cool things, um, which we can touch on as well if you want. Sure. What else are you into? Yeah. Currently, um, trying to upregulate GABA B receptors. Um, and the way I'm doing that is by using the compound homo, homo taurine. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you've heard of No, I'm that. not. Um, so basically that's found from red algae. Um, it's like a derivative of taurine that acts as a GABA B um, antagonist. Mm-hmm. Um, and essentially it puts you into, it almost puts you into a state of fenibut withdrawal um, as soon as you take Fenibut it. withdrawal. Yes, as in like, you know how people describe how they feel after they've used Fennibut, like they've abused, you know, Fennibut, they've, they've got the, you know, the negative, you know, poor mood, irritable, really on edge. Um, yeah, I've never experienced it, but it sounds pretty awful. Yeah, neither have I. I've never used Fennibut, but basically, I'm basically taking anti-Fennibut to create a longer term Fennibut state if that sort of makes sense. Yeah, that sounds, that's interesting. That sounds, you know, I have used quite a bit of Fenibut and I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. So if you could, if you could perpetuate that without ending up with a GABA receptor desensitivity, that would be, that would be pretty cool. What, what is the evidence that led you to that experimentation? Well, it's based on some of the um, in vivo research on homotaurine acting as a GABA B antagonist in like in in the in the in the gut in the gut because we obviously have a lot of GABA, GABA receptors um, found within the within the gut and basically there was one decent study showing that uh, homotaurine acts as like a GABA B antagonist in the ileum of like the small intestine um, and if you even look on like some um, some longevity um, forums. There's some positive um, experiences with homo taurine, and there's an even, there's even one pretty powerful experience with homo taurine for someone who's um, sort of been abusing baclofen, um, which is a you know that's a, a pain a painkiller like medication baclofen, mm-hmm. um, and he's sort of been able to restore the magic, the spark back from. You know, he's been able to re, re, resensitize himself to baclofen, which sort of indicates that potentially homotaurines then 
um, sort of upregulated GABA B receptors. And from my experience, um, it's not a very fun compound to use because you feel you feel pretty shit when you take it. Like for the first, you know, I experienced nausea within 90 minutes of taking it. I feel irritable on edge. Really? Yeah, like it's it's not a fun experiment, but the fun comes the next day when you feel the rebound effect, like the snapback snapback effect where I feel really, really calm the next day, really bliss, really, really good mood the following day. So, so does that affect last just a day or does it last longer um i feel like i've had at least two days where it's like sort of lingered um but yeah can't seem to can't seem to get it to stick around long enough damn (laughs) (laughs) so for people who might not know longevity is probably the best anti-aging biohacker forum that's on the internet it is just a huge forum with with really vast amounts of self-experimentation discussion going on there and you can i like longevity because you can find some really smart people a lot of times if you're on like reddit or if you're other places on the internet it's it's kind of a race to the bottom in terms of uh in terms of content but longevity you can find people that are like legit anti-aging researchers scientists people who really have a pretty good handle on these different pharmacological mechanisms and you can go there and you can just talk about what are you taking? What is the effect that you're trying to achieve? And longevity can also be kind of funny because you will, you will run into a lot of people there that are doing some pretty risky things. And you'll also run into, you'll run into people there that will be like, well, I was addicted to such and such pharmaceutical for five years. And so I hurt my uh, serotonergic or dopaminergic system in this particular way. And so I took these 10 other drugs and then they produced this particular effect. And then uh, then people will chime in with different nootropics or racetams. And, uh, and it's, it's remarkable how some people are, are correcting damage that they've done to their brain pharmacologically by using the nootropics and the smart drugs that are out there. Mm. Yeah, for sure, man. Like longevity is a, it's a pretty cool hub. It's a cool space for biohackers to sort of um, share their experiences and, yeah, I found a lot of cool stuff on that on that website over the past seven years. I don't know how long it's been around for. And what about nootropics? Are you using nootropics daily? Yeah, I play around with um, various compounds. Um, currently, what am I using now? I mean, I'm using a lot of one of the ingredients that's found within BrainX, my um, my product. Uh, which we can touch later on. It's not important now, but basically, um, yeah, one of the herbs that's found within there, uh, Katwaba, I really, really like how I feel when I take it. I like how pro-social it makes me. I like how it makes me feel uninhibited. It improves my uh, musical enjoyment, um, improves my motivation. 
Uh, it's a really, really fantastic adaptogen from Brazil. I really, really like it, man. And you're using it daily? Um, I don't even feel like I need to. I basically will use it maybe like once or twice a week. And I feel like it has some sort of, it definitely lasts, like it definitely has some sort of, I'm not saying it's like Ibogaine, but I reckon it have, has some sort of amazing like um, recalibrative, recalibration effects on like just normalizing things. It just seems to normalize things and make you feel more like you, like the best version of you sort of thing. Even the day after I have it, I'm like, I still feel, you know, there's no, there's no crash. There's no come down. You just, I still feel slightly above baseline. And then it's like a gradual return back to baseline. You know, it's like, it, it's, you're not cheating the physiology. You're not, you know, it's not like caffeine. You take it, you're above baseline and then crash. And then you're below, like, below baseline. It's really cool. And what sort of dosage of catuaba are you using? Yeah, so I'm using a four to one extract and I'm using it around, around about uh, 500 milligrams. Um, yeah, just mixed in water or a bit of warm water. And I'll, I'll also combine that with a little bit of uh, Miraquama, which is the other ingredient in my mm -hmm. product. Um, there's a really powerful synergistic effect uh, combining those two. Like it's very reinforcing, very... Um, goal it makes you very goal oriented and um, just very confident very very confident yeah the research that I've looked at so far in my article on Ketuaba which will be coming out probably in about a week it, what 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 people were saying is that the Mirapuma inhibits the acetylcholine acetylcholine it, in, it inhibits it inhibits that, which would be if you're going to use Mirapuma alone, it would be it would be stimulating and it would be perhaps anxiogenic. It would be perhaps causing causing anxiety, which may or may not be what some people want. You know, everyone has kind of their own stimulatory set point. And some people enjoy having a little bit of anxiety, but there's a lot of there's a lot of synergy between those two because catuaba has that serotonergic effect. It catuaba has uh, an effect that's a bit more of a tranquilizing effect. So when you get something that's that's energizing, that is. Uh, that's causing a bit of uh, cortisol release that is that has a motivating effect in combination with something that is tranquilizing, then you are pharmacologically cultivating this ideal mindset of relaxed arousal, which is kind of that's kind of what we're all that's kind of what we're all after. I was listening to a I think it was a Joe Rogan interview where they were talking about how historically what human beings have used to kind of get into, get into a, a, a cycle of having relaxation and arousal is that we'll use caffeine in the mornings to get, a, to stimulate a bit of energy, stimulate a bit of motivation. And then we'll usually have like a drink in the evening. Uh, and you know, a lot of people, a lot of people nowadays, a lot of guys like me and you probably 
don't do this. But if you look back just a little bit in our history, it was totally normal for people to have a cocktail or three in the evenings so that they could get themselves into just a bit more of that, that parasympathetic autom auto autonomic mode. Yeah, exactly, man. That's definitely been, you know, a strategy that we've always, you know, implemented and, but now obviously we have access to so many more compounds that the, um, the variety and the spice and just the, the, the thrill and the, the, the platform to explore um, all these compounds is just growing exponentially every year, which is so cool. Sure. So before we talk a little bit more about Ketuaba, I wanted to hear your biohacker origin story. Yeah, sure. Um, so essentially, I mean, I've got a, I played uh, professional soccer for many years and I was always sort of looking for ways to sort of optimize my own sporting performance. Um, and I sort of found myself experimenting with uh, the basic uh, nootropics such as like Alcar um, and Altyrosine and things like that. And, you know, noticed positive effects from that. And then essentially I developed an interest into like researching nootropics um, you know, listening to podcasts and then just sort of figuring out things on my own, like just doing the research myself, experimenting, documenting, like tracking my own progress, my own failures, my experiments that went to shambles, uh, things that helped me. And then, yeah, essentially just fell in love with, you know, sort of taking control of your health. And then that sort of put me to where I am today, where I'm you know, finishing off my naturopathy degree. I'm in my final year this year and uh, essentially just pushing out um, amazing biohacking content on my Instagram and keeping the standards super high and sharing content that people love and people, you know, people, I like to show people things that they've never seen before because, you know, I, I want to bring something fresh and something new to the table. And a lot of your research can be found on your website, which is ergogenichealth.com.au. That's a very aesthetic website. I'm impressed with your design on it. And you also have a lot of great articles. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah. So what, what are you planning on doing with the naturopathy degree? Yep. So I'd like to obviously work with, professional athletes like I've already had the chance to do that privately with some you know some some high performing athletes here but then yeah I'd love to um conduct like seminars and design my own webinars health content and um take on take on board uh, private clients uh, down the track to help them like to help optimize their own well-being um or to even help with managing some sort of disease like some disease states like you know, um, like I mentioned previously, like uh, type two diabetes, I'm into like thyroid health, adrenal support, um, men's hormonal health. That's one area that I love. Obviously, being a guy, being a 23 year old, I love optimizing, uh, you know, male hormonal health. And actually recently just got my own bit of a side note. I just got my uh, blood test back. I've been implementing many strategies to optimize my testosterone and I finally saw it come back at 988, which is just shy wow. of a thousand. Um, so, 
yeah, I was really thrilled to see that. And, you know, I was, I've been feeling pretty good with, with that, with that sort of level. Um, but again, it's not, it's not all about, um, testosterone. It's also about the other hormones. People get a lot of guys just focus on that one hormone, but really it's an orchestra and all the other, all the other hormones need to be optimized to feel great as well. Sure. So probably a lot of biohackers who are men are already, you know, familiar with some of the testosterone stuff. They're familiar with hopefully ideas like the, the stress testosterone balance that if you want to have your testosterone levels be optimal, then you need to be really vigilant about stress management People are probably aware that, for example, beer and alcohol have a real detrimental effect on testosterone. If, if you're a guy, probably one of the smartest things that the average guy, that the normal guy out there can do to improve his testosterone levels is just cut back on hoppy beer consumption as, as beer is, is actually one of the worst estrogenic things that we can put in our put in our bodies but i'm curious what some of your counterintuitive findings might have been in that domain yeah i mean obviously the alcohol and the beers are really bad um sort of something that a lot of men need to avoid if they want to optimize their testosterone but even plastic water bottles that's another one like drinking out of plastic bottles because obviously they're rich in uh, it's rich in BPA, and even if it is BPA free, then they're just going to use some other plastic that has that probably has some in vivo evidence, like for its estrogenic effects, but not proven in in humans. But that's enough for me to not not want to use plastic. So obviously swapping that over for like stainless steel or or glass. Um, and the other the other strategy, which and this is a real cool biohack that I hope a lot of guys implement after today's episode. Um, and that is essentially icing one's balls, like icing. <laughs> I know it sounds ridiculous, <laughs> uh, but essentially, yeah, dropping the temperature down there. You know, obviously a lot of guys that have cold showers report that they feel great after it. And I'm wondering how much of that effect is purely because they're just dropping the temperature of their, of their gonads. And that's a really important, I did an entire post on, it on my, on my Instagram explaining why every single guy, even for fertility reasons, um, wants to sort of apply an ice pack down below, maybe like 10 to 15 minutes. I mean, I do it before the gym every single day, like in the morning, and then also okay. 10, 10 minutes before bed as well every night. And An ice pack, you just let it sit, sit down there on your crotch. That's it. <laughs> Now, I, okay, let, let's, get, let's get a little bit more detail here. So sure. do, you put, do you put the ice pack underneath your underwear or do you put it on top of your underwear? Obviously, yeah, definitely not direct exposure to the skin because that'll cause uh, severe damage and burning. And then you can, yeah, that will take, it's not a pleasant feeling, but basically applying it, like applying it to, the, to your underwear or boxer shorts or whatever. Um, so that at least chills the, um, the testicles. Okay. So I, and I want to try this myself. So what you kind of do, so you get, you get an ice pack, you get a bunch of ice cubes and you put it in like a plastic baggie. Yep. You can do and that. Then, 
And then you probably lay down or maybe you sit down and you're probably like chilling out, maybe doing some meditation, maybe listening to music, reading a book or something like that. And then you kind of just, and then you kind of put the ice pack underneath your body. So it's right underneath the ball sack. Exactly. Yep. And let it, and just let, let the ice cubes melt. And then once they're melted, that's your session over. <laughs> bada bing, bada boom. Yep, and then it costs you maybe zero point or maybe one cent to refill the ice pack and then go again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, why not? Why not? I'll 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 give I'll give that one a try. And I was yeah, so I noticed that you took a swig of a bottle of San Pellegrino right before we started. And that's kind of that's kind of the preferred uh, hydration source of many biohackers because yeah, it's just bad news to be hydration is really, really important, of course, but those BPA plastic bottles are really bad news. And I figured out a bit of a life hack for this because drinking San Pellegrino all day long, every day, that can get a little bit pricey. I'm not sure if everybody can afford that. So what I do typically is I'll buy like one bottle of San Pellegrino every time I go to the grocery store that sells it here. And then I'm fortunate in that I have actually a a, a, a spring. I have a, a fresh water spring that's really wow. nearby where I live here in Bulgaria. Actually, I have a, I have the ruins of an old Roman city nearby where I live. It's a Roman city called Serdi, in case anyone wants to go and Google that and look it up. And there was, as unsurprisingly, they built the Roman city next to a freshwater spring. And so now you can just go and fill up a water bottle, fill up, uh, you can go and get all the fresh water that you want there. And so I just fill my backpack up with like five or six San Pellegrino bottles. And then I head over there and fill them up on every couple of days. I do that. And so I managed to get really high quality water and I'm not drinking it from the tap and I'm not drinking it from a BPA rife plastic bottle. So I suggest to people, you, the, the people listening in might not be fortunate enough to live next to a Roman city with a freshwater spring, but there's probably some place not that far away from you if you live in a major city where you could get fresh water. There's, there's springs a lot of places. And so just go get a collection of glass bottles and then go and fill those up on the regular and you'll be avoiding the uh, terrible fluoridated water that comes out of your sink. And you'll actually, you'll save yourself quite a bit of money over getting uh, really fancy bottled water every time. That's awesome, man. I wish I had that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come, come visit me in Bulgaria, and I'll, I'll, I'll show it to you. Okay, so I wanted. I, there was some different things that you had posted about on Instagram, and again, you have a great Instagram that I suggest that people check out. And so I wanted to ask you about a couple of this. Okay, so you posted recently. You can sabotage your health with this, and you've got a picture of sunscreen. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. So that, 
that post there was um, way overdue, but basically, yeah, basically breaking down some of the chemicals which are found in many of the basic sunscreens, which you can buy from a pharmacy or from, you know, a supermarket uh, with, yeah, these chemicals, which are known carcinogens, they are known to like cause DNA damage. A lot of them are known to act as endocrine disrupting chemicals. Um, and some of them have, some of them can very, very powerfully suppress uh, spermatogenesis and luteinizing hormone release, which is definitely detrimental to, to guys wanting to optimize testosterone. And then for the women, there's sort of um, a lot of these chemicals can shut down ovarian function and also cause havoc and, and really impair the, the menstrual cycle. So I wanted to, again, this is what I do. This is what I love doing and I really feel passionate about is just sharing content in that regard and, and people can sort of take control of their health. You know, I don't want to see people smothering their skin, the biggest organ with chemicals. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. And don't they, they're in Australia. People use a lot of sunscreen, right? Because of the, oh, yeah. the supposed hole in the ozone that's down there. Yeah. Our sun is super intense. It's got a lot of, it's got a lot of power to it. Um, but yeah. And a lot of people use sunscreen here and it's a shame to see a lot of, a lot of people using the wrong type of sunscreen. There's a lot of natural sunscreens that can do the job that can help um, get the job done without burdening your body with these nasty chemicals. It's pretty ridiculous all the toxins that they put in them. So you, th so are are the organic the organic sunscreens are a whole lot better option. Yeah, yeah. There's a few brands which um, uh, which I I recommend to people. I mean, personally, I don't even. Uh, this like, I'm not giving, you know, this is my personal, I, I don't even use sunscreen at all. Like I, I wanted to try and maximize the amount of UVB exposure that I can get to warrant not needing vitamin D supplementation in the winter, you know. What I've, I've heard different things about the sunscreen issue, and I'm honestly a little bit, a little bit confused by it. I've heard some people say that you just don't need it at all and if you get enough sun then your your body adapts to that and you won't you won't be burned by it and i had a experience a couple of years ago i went on a vacation with my she's my wife now but she was my girlfriend at the time we went on this this vacation had a awesome time at the black sea coast and I had heard all these things, I had heard all these podcasts saying that sunscreen is bad. So I said, babe, I'm not going to wear sunscreen. Sunscreen's toxic. Not going to do it. And she was like, okay, if you want. And so then we went and laid out on the beach. And sure enough, I got really badly sunburned. My, my legs turned totally red. And so I ended up, let's see, what, what happened after that? I ended up actually using sunscreen. I think I, I think I used it maybe once or twice in the last couple of years, and it did prevent me from getting sunburnt. But I'm yeah, I'm wondering what I could do in the future so that that 
doesn't happen without without putting all these toxins on my skin. Yeah, there's actually a a lot of sunscreens. The ones that I permit and the ones that I approve of are the ones that are like heavily zinc oxide based. Um, they seem to be the best. Um, and then they've got a few other ingredients in there that are um, more, you know, more benign that don't really have any negative effects on the endocrine system or um, burdening the liver or any other organ. Okay. Yeah. I will look into those next time. Next time I'm going to be, be on the beach. Okay. Another thing you posted about the dark side of vitamin D. What's Mm. up with that? Yeah. So that is specifically focused around people that, uh, I don't know how they decided to do this, but they supplement vitamin D in the evening, like with dinner, like after dinner or before bed. And to me, that just makes absolutely no sense. And according to science, that also doesn't make any sense because uh, essentially, I mean, let's have a think about it logically. The sun rises in the morning and sets in the evening. So how does it make sense that you're telling your body to you're taking vitamin D, which is basically signaling to the body, okay, it's, it's, it's daytime, it's, you know, let's, let's um, orchestrate all the other hormones around sunlight exposure. <clears throat> let's instead take that before bed. It just really doesn't make sense to me. Um, so I basically break down that post and explain to people that they need to be taking vitamin D in the morning or at lunch. Um, and obviously with, you know, with fats as well to improve the absorption. Yeah, that, that seems a little crazy to take vitamin D in the, in the, in the evening. Cause yeah, you get your naturally, naturally our ancestors, they got vitamin D during the daytime when the sun was shining. Yeah. Okay. What is your favorite nootropic mushroom? My favorite, okay. Uh, well, I've had a lot of experience with cordyceps. I used that for literally three years straight. Um, so like I probably took maybe like two or three weeks off um, when I was playing soccer. There was a particular cordyceps that I was using that I just stuck to for years. And like I really got sick. I had amazing aerobic performance. I had really good like breathing potential. Like I had very good lung capacity. Uh, and I wonder how much of the, the amp, 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 amp receptor activity and the, the, the male B inhibition and the tyrosine hydroxylase activity still remains to this day. I don't use it anymore because uh, I find that it actually, I find that cordyceps actually winds me up a little bit too much. Like a little, it's just a little bit too, feels like it's really jacking up uh, noradrenaline levels. Mm-hmm. Um, and possibly also stimulating thyroid function. So that's, and, and thyroid function is something I need to be careful of because I'm already bordering, I'm already bordering on hyperthyroid. So there's no point in me wanting to increase thyroid function anymore because, you know, I might start running into the hyperthyroid symptoms, which um, are not overly fun, you know, no, no, it's not something pleasant. And was this Cordyceps militaris or Cordyceps sinensis? It was Cordyceps sinensis. And this was a long time ago. This would have been 
probably around about six, seven years ago, I was really uh, not abusing, just, just using body steps for my own athletic performance. Um, and I, it was the Aloha Medicinals brand. Uh, I don't know if they're still around anymore. Aloha Medicinals. As, as an athlete, did you ever get into SARMs? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and I did look at a lot of the research, but I just decided against pretty much all of them because I wasn't impressed with um, the sort of ba- like bang for buck. Like it wasn't really, I, I couldn't really see many people reporting tangible major, major benefits. And then I was always so concerned about suppression. Like I didn't want to suppress my own natural production. I didn't want to have to wait months to return back to normal if I took them. And one of my friends actually experimented with um, one, a carterine, which is it's not really a sign, but it's more like a PPAR agonist. Mm-hmm. Um, and his, his cholesterol markers went haywire. They just, they went so out of balance. And this is someone who's vegan, who's a cyclist, who eats minimal fats. And then all of a sudden his cholesterol markers were all over the place, which is like, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't particularly impressed by that. So um, what about you? Have you experimented at all with any signs or? No, I haven't. And recently I've been researching them and I'm a bit, I'm a bit concerned by them. I think the risk profile is mm. just, is just not really worth it unless unless you're a bodybuilder and you're really convinced that you need just a little bit of pharmacological assistance to become the next Mr. Universe or become, you know, the, the, the next Terminator. I, I think it's a, it's an unacceptable risk trade-off. I was looking at an article, for example, on, it was on self-hacked about card, cardinine and there was some evidence that it might cause cancer. Apparently it was causing cancer in a concerning proportion of animals that received it in an animal study. And that seems like a, that seems like a risk reward trade-off that's just, that's just really not, 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 not worth it. So I've stayed away from those. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. well, what do you think, I'm just jumping around a bunch of topics that I'm curious about because you're such a wealth of knowledge. What do you think about salt? Yeah, that's a big one. And I actually learned a lot about salt from Dr. James D. Nicola Antonio. He's awesome. He, um, he wrote the book, The Salt Fix. And basically he breaks down a lot of the myths around salt and sodium um, and why lowering sodium or lowering salt intake can be detrimental to your health um if and purely because a lot of people well a lot of the mainstream doctors recommend lowering salt to lower your blood pressure but and it and it will do that but at the expense of like burdening the heart the heart has to pump harder because the blood volumes got less blood volume it's sort of like it just doesn't make sense to to, to reduce the sodium because back hundreds and hundreds of years ago, we used to consume because we didn't have fridges. We never had fridges like um, we do today. So we had to preserve a lot of our food, a lot of our meats with salt. And back in the day, we used to have upwards of, I think it was like 
25 grams of salt a day. Yeah, um, it was is, a lot. Yeah, which is ridiculous. It just goes to show you that the body has an amazing, an amazing ability to handle salt, like to handle the salt. The kidneys do an amazing job at regulating it. Um, so long as it's sort of balanced out with uh, sufficient potassium, but the sodium to potassium ratio, that's like, we could go on and on about like understanding blood test results around that. Cause you know, as a naturopath, I understand that very well. Um, and what we can tell from people that have low sodium, people on a low sodium on a blood test, which is me, um, just happens to be me. That's very indicative of adrenal fatigue. I'm not going to, I mean, I'm not going to use that term because it doesn't medically exist, the term adrenal fatigue, but low sodium on a blood test can indicate hypocortisolemia, like low cortisol, whereas on the contrary, high sodium on a blood test may indicate high cortisol. I was talking with some family a little while back, and we were talking about salt, and they were saying, oh, too much salt's bad for you, which is, th this is kind of one of the, one of the myths uh, that I think bad science has perpetrated in the past like 20 or 30 years, uh, that if you're, having, if you're having too much salt, then that's problematic. And I, I was curious about this. I was like, no, no, I think, I think salt's probably, probably good for you because I, I recalled there was a Bible verse actually talking about salt, where I think it was Jesus or one of the disciples was saying, you are to be the salt of the earth. And what the Bible verse was saying was that you should be what preserves, uh, you should be what is a preservative of, of civilization, of morality, etc., because since time immemorial, human beings have been preserving their meat with salt, and that's why we would consume vast uh, amounts of it, sometimes 25, 30 grams a day. Mm, that's really interesting. In fact, I'm actually going to retitle my next salt post on Instagram as Salt Preserves Human Life. <laughs> Yeah, you might you might want to mention the it was called the Intersalt study, which was this this huge study that they did. I think it was a a landmark study doing comparison of salt intake of different of different cultures around the world and apparently what they did what they did in this study was they, they compared a bunch of different Western cultures, and then they compared them to a number of different indigenous cultures. And so it ended up being, it ended up coming to kind of a fallacious conclusion that was later revised, where they, where they thought that, they, they concluded that salt was causing, was causing a problem because they were, they were factoring in some some cultures that have a lifestyle and dietary intake that was just drastically different than anything that anybody listening to us would have like there was for example they they factored in this amazonian tribe which is called the yamano tribe have you ever heard of these guys no not familiar 
Okay, people, people might want to Google this. I'm sure there's documentaries on it. The Yamano tribe is basically like the Spartans of the Amazon. This is a group of people. This is a, one of these isolated tribes. I think they actually live in like southern Venezuela. And they are just a, a very, very warlike, uh, rather barbaric uh, tribe. And they had their, and their, their salt intake was, I, for, I forget if it was below or above the norm, but the, they were factoring in the inter-salt study, they were factoring in these different groups of people and it threw off their results from it and when they when they corrected for when they corrected for some of these for for these outlier cultures they the the results indicated that yeah salt was awesome so i would suggest to people if you like salt you know make sure that you're using good salt make sure that you're using the highest quality pink uh, organic sea salt that you can afford, but go go nuts with salt. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome, man. Okay, other than other than the nutraceuticals, the nootropics, what sort of other biohacks do you use on a daily basis? Hmm. Well, obviously, I've got my. Um... I've got an aura ring, so I, I definitely I track my sleep almost every day. I've uh, actually just started using the have you ever used the acupressure mat? No. It's like um the spikes, you basically lay on that before before bedtime and it releases endorphins. It really helps me basically it's just a mat that I lay down beside my bed and it's just got like heaps of um spikes. Um and so basically what that does is it just releases a bunch of endorphins and helps the body relax. Sort of helps you get into that, um, is it the fetal position? You know, the, the position mm-hmm. as a baby. It sort of, I think it sort of does that to me. Um, yeah, and but how long really, do you lay on that? About 10 to 15 minutes. And then, you know, at the 15 minute mark, you know, you get, you feel very, very relaxed. Um, but I feel like you build tolerance to it really quick. That's the most annoying bit is that like, it works really. It may. It works only well if it works well only if I use it maybe like once every four nights or once every three nights. If I use it every night, I feel like my body just gets used to it. It doesn't have the same relaxation effect. Yeah. Well, it's a good idea to cycle these sleep hacks. You. You. As with as with anything, you. The body is always seeking homeostasis. The body is always seeking to adapt to whatever we're doing to it. So if you can have a, you might not need seven days uh, worth of different sleep hacks that you can rotate, but if you can have maybe two or three different sleep hacks and just kind of use those, uh, use those cyclically, then your, your sleep will improve quite a bit. Yeah, just touching on the sleep aspect, I um, I actually just released a sleep masterclass webinar, um, which we can link somewhere in the description below. Certainly, uh, for, for for people to access because it's um, it took me many 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 hours to put together, and I've come covering a range of really really cool um, sleep supplements, sleep nootropics, 
sleep hacks, everything related to sleep, even on foods um, and other lifestyle strategies, which I feel like a lot of your audience would love to, to tap into. So we can link that in the show notes. Sure. What's the name of that? Um, it's basically, it's basically, it's on Teachable. It's like a third party platform. I had to upload it onto there. Um, it's like um, how, how to optimize your sleep basically is like the title. Um, okay. And, and, and what's, people are of course familiar with <clears throat> things like avoiding the blue lights before bed. What, what are some of the, what are some of the counterintuitive or some of the sleep hacks that people might not have heard of that you have uncovered? Uh, well, one of them is obviously like body temperature. So like, I think a lot of people fail to drop their body temperature enough and allow their body to be kept cold, uh, not cold, but not freezing. Like you don't want to be shaking, but, um, yeah, just keeping the body nice and chilled during your sleep. Cause I've seen many, many times with my aura ring, like tracking my own sleep when I have like either done a gym workout and I haven't, or like I haven't had a shower or like I'm still really warm my deep sleep scores drop significantly. Whereas if I've had a cold shower, maybe like half an hour before bed, I know it sounds like, you know, cold showers is very stimulating, releases more epinephrine. Um, but I find that it still has a good effect on my sleep, uh, my deep sleep when I'm cold. So um, yeah, obviously body temperature is a big one. And then obviously trying to get sunlight as soon as you wake up, like or within f the first half an hour of when you wake up, because that will signal to the body to start, you know, it just, it just gets everything in alignment. It helps with um, melatonin secretion later on in the day as well. Now, if people live in a place that doesn't get a lot of sunlight for months out of the year, is it a pretty good strategy to get a UVB therapy light and just put that nearby your bed and then kind of throw your sheets off of you and lay there under the UVB light for like 10, 15 minutes. Do you think, do you think that accomplishes pretty much the same thing as going and walking around naked in a forest as soon as you get up? It's a definitely a viable strategy. <clears throat> unless you've got, unless you've got the privacy covered in that, in that regard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, you know, something else I wanted to ask you about, and I think you actually left me a comment about this somewhere on the internet once upon a time, was ashwagandha. I uh, think that you have some reservations about ashwagandha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this is a very, um, this is a very personal one, but uh, okay, so many, uh, I'm sure some of your listeners will know about KSM 66. Ashwagandha. Mm -hmm. um, well, unfortunately, I have been severely affected by KSM 66, and we're talking many, many years later, still, still struggling um, from using this particular brand of, of ashwagandha. And what I've done is I've actually collected numerous, numerous case studies on other guys and other people who are reporting the exact same symptoms from KSM 66 and those symptoms are emotional blunting, anhedonia, PSSD and um, just more like just emotionless, like, like more like emotionally flatlining. Um, and I've put together an entire hypothesis as to like how ashwagandha can do this and 
it's specifically revolving around the 5-HT1A, the, the serotonin 1A receptor. It's desensitizing the 5-HT1A autoreceptor. Um, that's basically mimicking the effects of SSRI drugs. And so mm-hmm. a lot of the, the negative effects of SSRI drugs can be, you know, people can experience that with ashwagandha KSM-66. Now, I've, um, I actually went as far as actually emailing the CEO of KSM-66, the company, and he personally, personally rang me um, all the way from, uh, from India. And, you know, he was saying, this is not possible. Like, he also told me to take down all of my... Okay, first of all, I threatened to sue him um, because uh, basically I was accumulating more and more evidence from people saying they're getting the same negative experience from it. And what that company will do is that they, they will sue you if you try and test their product, <laughs> which is ridiculous. Um, and it makes me wonder whether they've spiked their, their product with either a glucocorticoid or some sort of, some sort of SSRI because these effects are semi-permanent. And one other guy that I spoke to not long ago on Reddit saying, he still hasn't been the same since, and he took ashwagandha five months ago. He still has not has not been the same. So that how, makes how, how much ashwagandha are people using that's producing this undesirable effect? Three hundred to six hundred milligrams. You know, just just standard, pretty standard doses. Um, okay, and is that exclusive to KSM sixty six? Well, that's what I'm trying to determine because I really haven't seen many other people reporting negative effects from other types of ashwagandha, but I'm seeing it being reported from a lot of KSM 66 users. I've changed the name to, from KSM 66 to KSM 666, the devil. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That's the kind of meme that can uh, take down, take down a brand. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's a, uh, it's a it's a long topic. I mean, I'm yeah, just, yeah, that's yeah. that's certainly that's certainly troubling. And I think if there's a if there's a handful if if there's a at least a handful of people that are reporting really bad long term effects from a from a particular patented supplement, I would say that people should definitely avoid that. I have, however used ashwagandha for quite a while. I've never used the KSM 66 and I found ashwagandha to be totally, totally positive. I've never, it uh, helps with my sleep, helps with relaxation. I think it's a bit of a sex hack, Um, but yeah, I've never experienced anything uh, like what you're describing. Yeah, well, please do not try them. <laughs> Don't even think about experimenting with KSM-66. Okay. Yeah, there was a book that I read and reviewed a little while back. It was called Food Forensics. And it was written by a guy that operates one of the top spectroscopy labs in the United States. And he had done analysis of a bunch of different <clears throat> bunch of different products all around the world, like like I think over a thousand. And 
he, one of his findings or one of the things he urged people is to be just a bit more skeptical of products that are of Indian or Chinese origin. He was saying that really consistently under very rigorous spectroscopic analysis, uh, these products end up being rife with toxins. So I'm wondering, I'm wondering if it was actually the mechanism of ashwagandha that had the effect that you're describing, or if it was something in their manufacturing process that's introducing a toxin, or who knows? Yeah, maybe they have a some sort of SSRI that's in there that's causing those sort of effects. Yeah, there's, there's, there's many hypotheses um, which we can delve into, but it could even just simply be the fact that they're standardizing the withanolides way, way, way too high. And for some people, those, like those constituents, those key constituents may be affecting some people with a genetic polymorphism of that receptor. Mm. So only some people are getting affected. Like if you just see, like, I mean, I've got a whole, I've, literally got a whole folder on my computer and I just wait. I sit and check Reddit every single day, just waiting to see another report. And I've, I've just got a folder on my computer titled KSM 666 with uh, accumulated case studies. And I've got, you know, I've screenshotted them all and I'm just slowly, slowly accumulating more and more evidence. Yeah. Maybe you'd want to put that up at some point on like, on like yeah. steam it which is a uncensorable, an uncensorable blockchain-based content platform. And then if they ever tried to hit you with a lawsuit or if they sent, if you, if you publish that data and then they sent your hosting company like scary letters trying to get it taken down, if it's on Steemit, for example, it'll be there on the internet in perpetuity. Hmm. <clears throat> I may have to consider that. So I wanted to talk a bit more about the Catuaba bark because mm. this is this is what I've been looking into the the past week or so, and it's got it's got a lot of exciting properties. I guess the the caveat that I would give about Catuaba bark is that I don't believe, to my knowledge, at this point, it doesn't have any human clinical trials that are done on it that is i mean there's one study <clears> using <throat> blend a combination of catuaba in and amongst other adaptogenic herbs and that study was in humans um, and that was obviously for promoting libido and um, energy and, and some other things but yeah it's very it's it's a shame there's not much research i mean i might i mean who knows where i'll go with my naturopathic career but Maybe one day I'll do my own, like I'll get into research and I, might, I may want to conduct some studies on Katwaba. But yeah, I mean, based off the in vivo research, like it seems promising. But again, like this is where we're, we're stuck between understanding anecdotal and traditional, sorry, ancient wisdom, traditional uh, uses versus like modern research. Like how, like if something's being used so, um, so much, historically and you know it's been used for the same sort of thing with really good you know really good um effects it's like well i mean what can we go by you know 
Yeah, I so Catawba bark is from Brazil. The majority of the research on it is out of the universities in Brazil. And I suspect that what's kind of going on is that it's it's so prolific in their culture. It's so popular there that there's maybe not, they're maybe not properly motivated to do clinical trials on it and, and spread the word uh, throughout the rest of the world. Yeah, or maybe maybe because they're already in such a good mood that they don't even feel the need to study it. <laughs> sure, sure. So I I wanted to share a passage from my article that I'm going to be publishing in a little while on Catuaba bark. So on a biometaphysical note, if you asked a indigenous shaman there in Brazil, where the traditional knowledge about things like Catuaba bark came from, they would probably invoke ancient guiding metaphysical entities. And this is, of course, an explanation that a skeptical materialist mind would reject. But the question still lingers. How did traditional medicine emerge eons ago? Of all the thousands of poisonous plants populating this planet, how were our ancestors wise enough to choose to ingest the very few that tremendously empower our health and well-beings? Was it, was it aliens that told them which plants had healing properties? Maybe there was an advanced antediluvian civilization, which is largely forgotten by mainstream history that mastered the scientific method in deep antiquity and shared with different protocultures around the world which plants could save lives. Maybe it was one of those things, kind of hard to prove those sorts of things. And uh, a less provocative hypothesis that I've got is that folk medicine emerged around the world as a result of selection bias. And here's what I mean by that. There's an argument to be made that we are evolutionarily intertwined with herbal medicine as our ancestors have been using them for thousands of years, maybe hundreds of thousands of years to stay alive in a brutal and dangerous world. Your ancestor was the village chieftain who could afford ginseng so that he could get an erection to impregnate his fourth wife and have his 16th child. You, really all of us, are a result of thousands of years of stark evolutionary selection bias favoring those who responded positively to natural medicine. That's, that's kind of my that's kind of my take on where all these mm. uh, where all this amazing uh, medicinal tradition arises out of and we can see that in we can see that in a lot of instances traditional nutraceutical medicine is actually a whole lot better than mainstream and certainly a whole lot better than a lot of pharmaceutical solutions for our health mm. And I'm looking forward to that article. Can't wait to um, I can't wait to check that out. 
Great, great. Yeah, well, we will be publishing that probably on ergogenichealth.com in the next week or two. I'm thinking that's where we probably want to put that up, right? Yeah, we can definitely um, place that on my site as soon as it's ready to go. Okay, great. So I'm thinking now we can take a few call-ins from CastBox because it looks like we've got some folks that are listening in there. I see that my friend Daniel is listening in. We've got some folks that have some names that frankly, I don't know how to pronounce. So if any of you are listening in and saying, wow, these guys are total nerds, but they've got some, some interesting little factoids. We would be happy to chat with you about everything biohacking and health related. If you're listening in on the CastBox app or you're listening in on the CastBox website, you should be able to see a little button that says call in. And then you can chat with me and Lucas about whatever is on your mind, uh, health, biohacking related. We'd love to, we'd love to hear from you. If we can provide any sort of insight, then that would just, that would just make our day. So we'll see if we get any calls from the folks around the world. And it looks like you're wearing, Lucas, it looks like you're wearing those really fashionable blue blocking glasses by, who's that guy? I forget that guy. He's, uh, he's the guy that is on a, a mission against beer, right? A mission against beer. Hmm. Yeah, he's, he's, another, he's another Aussie. What's his name? James, James something. He's a big, uh, he's a big health health sports guru. Is it, is it his blue blocking sunglasses that you're using? Jeez, I'm not sure who you're talking about, but no, these, these ones here are actually my, um, one of my close friends. He's actually released his own pair with like clip-on, clip-on adjustable lenses. So like this one's, the one, like I slipped, these ones like a less orange version and the ones that I'm wearing now are like extreme dark mode. So like right now, everything's red. So do not drive wearing these. Right. Because, uh, in fact, I, I got a fine the other, like two months ago for wearing these, these red ones. I broke a red light. <laughs> and, okay, so you've been using the Aura Ring. You are, I'm sure, you are, I'm sure, looking at all your sleep data on a, on a regular basis. What is, uh, what is having a, an outsized impact on your sleep quality of all the things you use? Hmm. Well, the one thing that really, really bumped up my deep sleep was actually the, uh, the peptide BPC-157. Really? BPC-157? Yeah, that, that bumped my deep sleep up literally straight away. And I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. I remember the night that I, it got, got me three hours, 30 minutes of deep sleep, which is the most I've ever had and probably the most I ever will have. Um, and I remember feeling so, so good the next day. I felt so, so mentally switched on. I felt super calm, super just on point the following day. I went to uni the following day. It was just, it was so good. 
And that's BPC-157 that created that effect. Yeah, orally, yeah, 500 micrograms. Aha, mm -hmm. uh -huh. okay, so you didn't do the injection. No, I use it orally. Okay, so you got the, you got the BPC, you got one of those little vials. This is fascinating to me because I've done some research on BPC-157. I haven't tried it yet, I'd love to. So you got the little vial of BPC and then you mixed it with the bacteriostatic water very uh, carefully? No, uh, there's a company here in Melbourne that fortunately they actually manufacture it in, in capsule form. Um, so I was lucky enough to use their product. Um, and that's, you know, I've listed that product on my website, but unfortunately they only ship Australia wide due to legalities. Aha. Okay. There's uh there's an American company that I have a affiliation with infinite age co and they oh, yeah. also offer a BPC oral product and I have not tried it yet because it hasn't gotten to me here in Bulgaria, but I am, I am very interested in trying it mostly because mm. of the, because of the healing properties. And yes. it's supposed to be really fantastic for, for fixing like injuries that people get in the gym. It's supposed to be fantastic for, for people that have, have backs, elbows, knees that are just not totally healed from some injury that they picked up in their athletics and, and gym workouts. Well, that was the original reason why I took this because I had a torn meniscus, medial meniscus in my knee. Um, and that had literally healed that within two weeks and I haven't even, I haven't used it ever since. Like my knee's been pretty much zero pain and full functionality after using BPC-157 orally for about two weeks, which is phenomenal. Yeah. It, it, what's, what's amazing about BPC is how affordable it is too. Yeah. And the limited, the limited um, side effects. I mean, you get some people saying that it, you know, reverse tolerance to amphetamines and Adderall. And then, and then there's other people saying that actually blunts the stimulant properties of, of these drugs, which is interesting. Yeah, you, I would have to try them together to really speak to that. But I appreciate your, your comments on it. It gives me, it gives me some, more, some more interest in using it. Well, I know it's getting a little bit late there in Melbourne. And unfortunately, the call-in function on CastBox appears to be blocked at the moment. So I would suggest for those listening in, if you've got some questions for Lucas, then I will link to him all over social media. He's, he's very, very active on, on Instagram particularly. And I think he'd love to stay in touch with you. And yeah. hopefully we can do another conversation in the, uh, in the future. I think as a final call to action for anyone listening in, I would direct them to go and check out the product that you are launching, which is Brain X. And I'm wondering if you could describe that concisely for those interested. Absolutely. So Brain X is a nootropic sachet, um, which consists of one of the herbs that I mentioned earlier, Katwaba, alongside the, the Mirapama, and then combine that with two other ingredients, which are like 
modern, more modern, but really well-established uh, nootropic ingredients, D-ribose and uridine monophosphate. And basically, BrainX is designed to optimize dopamine, um, purely, like mostly working on the dopaminergic axis, really strengthening motivation, mood, focus. Um, and it's very, very novel compared to many other uh, nootropic products out there because I have seen people report you know, reverse tolerance to the effects. Um, we've seen people, you know, it's designed to be added to people's coffee or any other beverage, but really works well with caffeine because it um, helps to enhance the stimulating effects of caffeine and also reduce the crash from caffeine as well. Um, and that's by virtue of the D-ribose found within the, the formula. Um, but overall, man, like the, the feedback's, like for the better testers, like the feedback was really, really positive. Um, and I, I am so, so proud of this formula. I just can't wait to actually get it to market because it's got so much potential. Um, and like I said, it's very novel um, and it's, it just works. Like it, it really, really does work for a lot of people. Um, they all say, you know, they felt more energy, better focus, better mood. I think the mood ones, the, most prominent effects is that sort of very uplifting to the mood um, for someone's mood. So yeah, that's, that's pretty much brainx. Brainx.me is where people can find it. Um, brainx.me. I'm totally excited about trying that myself. And one thing that might, I, we should explain a little bit. This is a product that's in, that's in pre-launch. So it's kind of like a crowdfunding deal that's going on with it now. It's available for, I believe, 26 Australian dollars. Yeah, 26 AUD for 14 sachets. Okay, and that comes out to what? About 25, 24 US dollars? Oh, it'll be around 18 or 17. US dollars. Okay. Yeah. So I'd suggest people listening in. It's uh, very, very affordable. I'm surprised that you managed to make a good nootropic price point, uh, a good nootropic at that price point. So I'd suggest that anyone listening in who's curious, go and hit up uh, brainx.me and go and buy that. Go, go and buy a 14 package of sachets and you're going to have to wait a bit. It'll, maybe yeah. you can tell us what the ETA is for this product. Yeah, so essentially uh, my investor was hoping for me to hit, you know, a thousand pre-orders before we actually start manufacturing. Um, and we've, we've just broken the 500 mark, so. Congratulations. Um, yeah, thanks, man. Um, it's been a long, long, long stretch so far, but, um, yeah, the more people that know about it, the more people that help, you know, sign up, um, the better, really, because uh, that, that's going to expedite the whole process and start making it an option for people to, um, yeah, get their hands on it as soon as possible. I know a lot of people are waiting for it, and I'm, I'm desperately waiting as well to get it to market. Yeah, any, <laughs> we, 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 almost all of us, we have had a, a lifelong love affair with with coffee. <laughs> it's, it's been a good life that we've had with coffee. And so anything that can take coffee to the next level is something that certainly piques my attention. Yeah. Yeah. It's phenomenal, man. Like I, I think, um, 
you know, after maybe like a week's use, I think that's when people start to really notice that they've got that they've got brain X uh, running through their their neurons. And what I'll probably I will also add to the podcast notes that people will find below wherever they're listening to this. I'll add a Catuaba source because people might be interested in trying Catuaba on on its own in the in the interim uh, before you get this product shipped out. So you said that there was Catuaba extract is what you've been using that's been that's been so such a good nootropic. Yeah, yeah, the Catuaba extract four to one. Okay, yeah, I'll find a couple of sources in North America and hopefully Europe for that. And so people can check that out through the notes below. Uh, Lucas, real pleasure talking to you. I, I, thanks for shedding the light on the KSM 666 thing. That's, that's really scary. And I will uh, join your crusade to try to put out the, the warning flare about that. Yeah. No worries, man. Well, thanks for having me on. And um, yeah, I look forward to joining you on our next episode sometime in the future. Yeah, yeah, real pleasure. Uh, again, it's uh, I always look forward to a continued conversation with with you in particular and everybody else. Thanks, Jonathan.